0: On this All Saints and Founders Sunday, we begin a new sermon series, Thanksgiving, Giving Thanks. It's fitting that as we begin several weeks focusing on gratitude, that we take time at the start to give thanks for those who have gone before us, for those whose shoulders we stand upon, the saints that have paved the way, that have laid a foundation for our lives, that have been our cheerleaders, or who have simply just been themselves, which in and of itself is a blessing. Our sermon lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. This is Paul's prayer of thanksgiving and intercession for the people there. And as we read, a prayer for us. I invite you now to listen and read that by faith you may receive God's word for you this morning. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that, with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back in the 1940s, there was a remarkable stage play that remains popular today, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. It reaches into the past of America and portrays a New England village between the years 1901 and 1913. Wilder brings to us the wind-blown hills, the plowed fields, the sound of the early train and the school bells, the quiet serenity of Grover's Corners, a tiny village in New Hampshire. We glimpse the town's untarnished life as in the first act we arrive at breakfast time and are carried through an entire day in the lives such as the milkman and the paperboy. The general practitioner and the local editor. In Act 2 called Love and Marriage, it celebrates the wedding of George Gibbs and Emily Webb. The last act takes place in the village cemetery on a windy hilltop where the people rest from the cares of life on earth. But there is a new grave for Emily. She had died in childbirth. In a strange do-over, Emily is told that she can relive one day in her life. And with childish excitement, she chooses her 12th birthday. At first, it was exciting to be young again. But soon the day held no joy. For now, with the knowledge of the future, it was unbearable to realize how unaware she had been of the meaning and wonder of life when she was alive. Emily says, Live people don't understand, do they? We don't have time to look at one another. As Emily leaves the world of Grover's Corner to return to the company of the saints who've gone before, she bids farewell by saying, So all that was going on and we never noticed. Oh, Earth, you're too wonderful for anyone to realize you. Do human beings ever realize the wonder of life while they live it, she wonders? Paul's prayer for the Ephesians gives us that chance. It gives us an opportunity to realize the wonderful, to take in the fullness of life while we are yet still living. It is a chance for us to step back and take time to value the lives of those who've gone before and how those lives have had an impact on our own lives. In early Christian tradition, saints' days began as a way to mark the anniversary of a martyr's death, his or her birthday as a saint. By the middle of the church's first millennium, there were so many martyrs that it was hard to give each one their due. And so All Saints Day was established as an opportunity to honor and acknowledge all the saints, known and unknown. In the Reformed tradition, All Saints Day has a rather different focus. While we may give thanks for the lives of particular luminaries who have passed away, the emphasis is on the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the whole people of God, living and deceased. Rather than putting saints on pedestals as holy people set apart in glory, we give glory to God for the ordinary, the holy lives of the believers in this and in every age. It is an appropriate time to give thanks to members of the community who've died in the past year, and we also pray that by the grace of God, we will one day be counted among the faithful in God's eternal presence. All Saints Day is a time to rejoice in all who have faithfully served God through the ages. The occasion reminds us that we are part of one continuous living communion of saints. It is a time to claim our kinship with the apostles and the prophets. It is a time to express our gratitude for all who in ages of darkness kept the faith, For those who have taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. For prophets' voices who have called the church to be faithful in life and in service. For all who have witnessed to God's justice and peace in every nation. When we rejoice with all the faithful of every generation, it expands our awareness of a great company of witnesses above and around us like a cloud. It lifts us out of a preoccupation with our own immediate situations and the discouragements of the present. It has the potential to strengthen our faith in God and to bring us hope in the midst of our own circumstance. Sometimes people can find it difficult to distinguish between hope and faith, but Ephesians makes it difficult quite clear. Our faith is in the Lord Jesus, meaning faith is entrusting our lives to Jesus today in the present tense. Hope is about the future, about where it is that our present trust in Jesus eventually leads us. Hope, therefore, requires wisdom and knowledge or insight into what the Bible calls the glorious heavenly inheritance that awaits. So as we observe All Saints Day, we recognize that the occasion has as much to do with those of us living as it is a commemoration of those who have passed on. It has as much to do with how we live our lives now as it ever had to do with how they live their lives during their time, it has not so much to do with some dreamlike community in the sky as it does to do with how we define and experience our community on earth, with how we engage in what is often called fellowship. My good friend from Longview, Leslie, hates the word fellowship. We laugh about it because. It seems harmless to me, but I think it has to do with her experience and the contrived scenarios that can sometimes come about during fellowship times. Peter Gomes, the former Harvard professor and minister, now deceased, says fellowship has a bad ring to it for many. Fellowship suggests a rather enforced camaraderie, which suggests that in church, at least, People become nicer over cookies and coffee. (laughs) At its best, fellowship, well, fellowship provides an opportunity of, of belonging or having a share in something bigger than ourselves. It implies a degree of participation and relatedness that is more than casual or occasional. And friends, we need this. Because life provides, at every turn it seems, challenges, difficulties, things that disappoint us. And so this morning, even if you did this before service, stop in the atrium and have a little fellowship. Enjoy one another's company. At a time such as this, we benefit from leaning on each other and to leaning in to one another and to one another's faith, to that shared experience. When I think of fellowship today, I am drawn to the notion that as followers of Christ, we enjoy certain fellowship with him. Because of that, we have the chance to experience fellowship with one another in the here and now. We also have the opportunity to experience fellowship with the cloud of witnesses around us, whom we hold in our hearts and minds through our memories. And so who is in your cloud of witnesses? As we reflect on that, we all no doubt think of particular people that have impacted our lives positively and less so. Certainly there are women and men who have gone before us in the faith who we share in common. No doubt, Blair Moni comes to the minds of so many here. Our teacher, preacher, colleague, counselor, mentor, friend, and the list goes on. And even for those of us who didn't know Blair as well or for as long, we give thanks for his legacy that we live in, for his shoulders that we stand upon. There are others, of course, in our families, in our circles of friendships, our colleagues, our neighbors that come to our minds. As we remember that others have persevered, we are encouraged to stay the course, to endure against all odds. And as we are reminded that God was with the faithful of the past, we are reassured that God is with us today. Moving us and all creation towards God's purpose and plan. Something else that we need. Because if we rely solely on what we see and experience, my goodness, how miserable. But instead, as Hebrews tells us, we have faith. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I don't know how we would make it through life without faith in the unseen and hope. When we reflect on those who have completed their earthly life, it is natural for us to be curious, to wonder about where they are. Where are the saints? Paul says to the Thessalonians, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. He reminds us here that the saints who have died are in the very presence christ our lord and notice what he does not say paul does not say don't grieve he says instead grieve as those don't grieve as those who have no hope for we do have hope that is a gift of our faith It is part of the human experience that we grieve when we experience loss. The key is that somewhere in the midst of our sorrow and grief, there is hope for a better, brighter, stronger day. And you know, when we go through difficult times, sometimes that hope is buried deep. And we might even disagree that there is no hope in this particular situation. But friends... If you are a follower of Christ, plain and simple, there's hope in there somewhere. And perhaps the prayer could be, God, show me the hope that you promised me. Show me what you've given me because I can't see it right now. There is hope for eventual reunion with those we love. These are the gifts of faith in God. When one we love dies, we experience loss, and in that loss, we experience grief. Grief does many things to us. It disorients us. It numbs us. It causes us to think that we have seen our loved one in a crowd, or maybe we have heard his or her voice somewhere along the way. It robs us of sleep and appetite. It destroys our concentration and can cause us To dissolve into tears over the simplest things. At any moment we can turn on a dime. That is grief. A very human response to the death of someone beloved. How do we grieve? How is it that we go through this process? By working through it, by talking, by remembering as we remember here today. By sharing, by crying that flood of tears that seems it may never stop. Or just by being. The grief experience is unique to each and every one of us. There there are stages, but there is no set timeline. There is no right or wrong way to grieve. As younger people around me would say, you do you. <laughs> you do grief that works for you. Don't be captured by what other people think should happen, like they ought to be over it by now. That's, that's malarkey. Allow yourself to go there. Allow yourself to grieve your losses. And here at Preston Hollow, we have a tradition of many different ways to help you and support you. First and foremost, all of your pastors are available and willing, and they desire, we desire to be with you, to simply sit with you, to pray with you, to make ourselves available to you. But we offer grief groups that are group support opportunities, our faith and grief luncheons, where you can gather with others who might have a a, a bit of knowledge about what you are going through in your own experience as you share your stories together. But what we do not do is we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We do not do that here. Hope is something, as in Paul's prayer this morning, that we have been called to. It is a calling of the life of a christian to have hope i want to help you find that hope if it's buried and we remember that hope does not disappoint paul writes to the roman church hope does not disappoint because god's love has been given to us by the power of the holy spirit and not only do we have hope friends we have god's power Again, in the prayer, we are reminded that because of what Christ accomplished on our behalf, we have the power and the promise of everlasting life, which is our inheritance as believers and followers. I leave you this morning with these words from a declaration of faith from many years ago. In the death of Jesus Christ, God's way in the world seemed finally defeated. But death was no match for God. The resurrection of Jesus was God's victory over death. Death often seems to prove that life is not worth living, that our best efforts and deepest affections go for nothing. We do not yet see the end of death. But Christ has been raised from the dead, transformed and yet the same person. In his resurrection is the promise of ours. We are convinced the life God wills for each of us is stronger than the death that destroys us. The glory of that life exceeds our imagination, but we know we shall be with Christ. So we treat death as a broken power. Its ultimate defeat is certain, In the face of death, yes, we grieve, yet in hope we celebrate life. No life ends so tragically that its meaning and value are destroyed. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May it be so. All thanks be to God.